Hello everyone, I'm Blake Farha. And I'm Jasmine. And this is See You in Sleep County, a podcast where we tell bedtime stories written for adults, and these stories are designed to help relax and ease your mind so you can slip into a nice, sweet, somnolent state. And these stories are so very special because they're written by the one and only Jazz Meyer and taken from a lifelong series of journals that she's been keeping and crafted to help take you away from the busyness of the world and into the lovely world we like to call Sleep County. So as you know, we really appreciate the support of our listeners in helping to keep this little podcast going to help us put as much time and energy and love into it as we want to. So to help make this a reality, you can become a patron. Um, and we have a plethora of benefits for our patrons, such as shout-outs in the opening credits of our podcast. As well as PDF downloads of the wonderful bedtime stories that Jazz has been writing so that you can pick up reading where you last left off. And you can also become a part of Sleep County itself by telling me a story, which I'll turn into a Sleep County episode. And eventually, when we have enough patrons in Sleep County, we'll be able to dedicate the time and energy necessary to create an actual book of all these wonderful stories, as well as an audiobook narrated by yours truly. So if you'd like to become a part of the Sleep County family, you can go to patreon.com slash seeyouinsleepcounty and help support this little podcast and make it grow and blossom before your very eyes. Something that I find recently is a very deep need to get away. All the time I'm feeling like I just need to escape. I just want to get away from everything. And I'm, I feel like in the modern day, you almost have to get out of your space. You know, you have to get away from your, even your, your bedroom, your living room, your apartment. There's so much weight, I find. There's so much weight. There's so many reminders of so many things that need to be done, need to be taken care of, whether it's laundry or those clients that you haven't spoken to or, you know, uh, a friend's message who you forgot to respond to. And um, I, I really, I, I've been wondering what it all means that I'm trying to get away all the time. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be here. <laughs> How does it feel when you come back? Uh, how does it feel when I come back? Yeah, well, let's think. So this last weekend, I actually was very lucky. A friend of mine has a little garden house uh, on the outskirts of Berlin. And I went there with a, a lovely young lady who I have the privilege of seeing at the moment. Uh, and we went there together on, it was, a, it was a, an impromptu adventure. We woke up on Saturday and I just said, you know, I just need to get away. I'm, I'm a bit weighed down. I'm a bit tired. And I think I need to recharge the old batteries. So Fortunately, my friend was not at her garden house, so she said we could use it. So we went out there with her dog, um, a lovely greyhound called Ivy, and we we had the best day, Jazz. It was so amazing. We went out there Saturday night after, um, <laughs> basically, I had a bit of a, min- a, a total breakdown. I won't go into the details, but essentially, I was, I was raving like a madman. I'm not even kidding. I was raving like a madman in the train station, just going, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this place. I got to get out right now. I was like, who have I become? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then we went out to this. We got to the dacha. Everything was calm and, and so wonderful. And on Sunday... You know, we didn't get out of bed particularly early, but we had, it was one of those days that just never ends. You know, it was one like, like, like you wrote about in episode number three, Summer in Berlin, just one of those days where you do nice thing after lovely thing after peaceful thing. And we didn't do anything special, but we just had the best time. I spent like four hours reading naked in this, in the garden, just like (laughs) bathing in the sunlight. And uh, we, we went to the lake and we cooked a really lovely dinner and we, we played a fun game. I mean, we just did like little thing after little thing. And we woke up late and we went to bed kind of early, but it still felt like one of the longest days I have had in a long time. 
And then uh, I had to come home early the next day to appease some clients. Uh, you know how that is. <laughs> and um, how did it feel when I came home? Yeah, I'll tell you how it felt when I came home, Jazz. It felt not ready. That's how it felt. I was like, uh-uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to be here still. Like, And I think that my hippie roots are really gaining hold and they're begging me to get away from everything, get a van and just get out of all of this and go try something totally different. Yeah, I think what you're describing, like this sort of endless, these endless days, I think that comes so much from being, at least for me, from being in nature, from being Mm. away from this constant hustle and bustle of city life that kind of speeds up my inner processes. It -hmm. makes me a little anxious. It makes me a little hectic inside. Mm. And then when I'm in nature, I just remember there's no rush, like nothing needs to be done. Everything is perfect, just as it is, just being, just simply existing. And humans are no different. We've kind of created this construct that convinces us we need to be constantly busy, constantly doing something. And it's such a trap, and it's make-believe. And I think Mm. as soon as we step into nature, we are reminded of that, that actually nothing really has to be done, nothing really matters. If we have Mm. the basic necessities for life, then anything on top of that is voluntary. So I think maybe it's a a nice reminder of what we want to be volunteering for. I like to think about what a duck would say if he (laughs) saw the way that I live my life. Like if a duck had seen me in that train station having a total just breakdown, he'd be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) this is really easy. Just sit here. Look at me. I'm just sitting here. I've been sitting here for years. I'm not that I'm going to sit here for years. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Like, Mm -hmm. I think if the animal kingdom could could like is watching humans, there just must be like, what is wrong with these people? Why are they doing this? Yeah, it's we're a little bit absurd. I think it's nice to step back and and remember that, realize how ridiculous we are. I think that from now on, whenever I feel myself getting all revved up and uh, falling into the traps, uh, the, the traps of uh, my own uh, mental processes, I'm just gonna think about a duck looking at me, just like shaking his little <laughs> duck head, like, "Nah, man, just just paddle along. You're good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, humor is a good antidote to this kind of anxiety that we've uh, constructed for ourselves of course if i tried to live in the river like a duck i'd then be taken to jail so i guess that's the difference <laughs> he doesn't have to pay rent so <laughs> yeah yeah the perks of being a duck the perks of being a duck oh, that'll be a new episode a, i should write a story yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh i cannot wait please write a story called the perks of being a duck written from easily. the perspective of a duck watching me freak out in the <laughs> <brain> station <laughs> Okay, watch out for your next birthday present. Oh, excellent. Oh. <laughs> so, Jazz, what have you got for us tonight? Uh, so tonight is, again, one of my favorite ever memories. Um, this story explores the the sheer wonder and the almost religious or spiritual experience of just... Actually, it's a lot about stepping back and taking perspective in some ways. Um, it's the story of climbing, illegally climbing, the tallest structure in the southern hemisphere. Um, Whoa! It was yeah. You'll find out more in the story, but it was truly uh, a momentous experience and one that I'm extremely happy and very grateful to to have had. 
Okay, before you tell us the title, I want to see. Now, this is episode 23, so I've had mm -hmm. 22 chances to get a feel for how you name and title your episodes. Let me see if I can guess it. Oh, Tallest structure in the Southern Hemisphere climbed illegally. Hmm, what would Jazz say? Okay, I've got one. This is what I think you would call it. Midnight Rendezvous with the Stars. Oh, that's excellent. What's serendipitous about this is that at the time of recording, I haven't yet titled this story. So oh. it's now entitled Midnight Rendezvous with the Stars. <laughs> this is excellent. Wow. It's perfect. You heard it first. Midnight mm. Rendezvous with the Stars. Yes. I love it. Live with Jazz and Blake. Oh, wonderful. So do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about this story? No, I think you've summed it up perfectly. So to all of those listening, please enjoy Midnight Rendezvous with the Stars, written by Jazz Meyer, titled by Blake Faha. <laughs> I'll see you in Sleep County. Thank you so very much, Jazz. As we prepare for tonight's story, gently close your eyes and snuggle into bed. Allow yourself to find the position that feels just right. And when you found that perfect spot nestled among the covers, Take a nice, slow, deep breath, letting the worries of the day drift away as you exhale. Imagine the air falling into your belly and chest as you breathe in effortlessly. And as you breathe out, imagine the breath falling out of you again. Take a moment to feel the bed beneath you gently supporting your body. Release any tension you might be feeling, starting with the muscles in your face. One by one, allow them to go slack. Let the muscles in your arms, shoulders, and chest relax. Now move your attention to your belly, your lower back, and let them sink into the mattress. Release any tightness in your thighs, your knees, your calves, and your feet. And enjoy for a moment the feeling of total relaxation. Your body totally at ease. And now, for tonight's story. Midnight Rendezvous with the Stars written by the one and only Jazz Meyer. The smell of an impending storm floated on the wind as we drove deeper into the bush, far from civilization. In the sky, heavy gray clouds hung ominously, threatening to thwart our much-anticipated plans. But we pressed on nevertheless, in the hopes that the sky would clear and our mission would go ahead as intended. We were still 40 kilometers away when our group of vagabonds first saw the tower. Peeking through the trees, what had come to be known as Delta rose well above the horizon, already piercing the sky even from this distance. What I had known before was that this was the tallest structure in the southern hemisphere, a title so hyperbolic 
as to be almost meaningless when expressed only in words. But now, with my first glimpse of the feat we were about to attempt, the gravity and truth of those words began to weigh on me. For its height, it was incredibly spindly, rising into the air as a thin sliver of metal, a fragile tower of Babel. Too slight to support itself, it was held instead by a series of guy wires, each issuing from the umbrella array that crowded its zenith and then fastening themselves into the earth. From this distance, the wires themselves were invisible, only the umbrella array casting a sharp contrast against the sky, and it gave the illusion of a flower of some sort, an echinacea perhaps, blossoming huge above its surroundings. She's big, I thought naively as the car thundered on. Until that moment, I'd been relatively ignorant to the specifics of the tower. I liked it that way. It felt like more of a discovery, more like the gleeful and childlike adventures of my youth, imbued with the novelty of exploration. This first sight had been a sobering one. I'd heard the number 430 thrown around a lot in the week preceding the climb, but seeing 430 meters worth of tower in my head was not the same as seeing now looming in front of me and making me count every centimeter that stood there. The effect only grew as we approached. Through walls of eucalyptus and wattle, the wheels of our car rumbled over the unpaved bush track, causing a cloud of dust to billow up behind us. It seemed to act as a smokescreen between what we were leaving behind and what lay ahead. Necks craned out of windows, wide eyes gazing, as our little party reached the edge of the property adjacent to the enormous tower. With me were Black Duck, Weedle, Audacia, and Spaz a ramshackle smattering of co-conspirators assembled from the band of miscreants I called my friends. With eyes glued to the horizon, we clambered out of the car, eager to absorb the magnitude of the climb before us. The cow paddock that separated us from the tower was inhabited by hundreds of kangaroos, and they suddenly fled in unison, a wave of bouncing gray creatures undulating over the landscape. Their uneventful grazing had been interrupted by our sudden presence, and the effect was remarkable. This was already surreal and beautiful, and we hadn't even begun. Looking at the tower from there was deceptive. We could never quite get a grasp of its size and that elusive nature followed us all the way to its base. A few times, we remarked that it didn't look that big after all. Then we realized it was still a kilometer away, and it was already eating up most of the sky. As we trekked towards it, the tower grew and grew, as if sprouting from the earth before our very eyes. I was struck 
many times, by what we were about to attempt, the anticipation mounting in my chest with every step. The field across which we ambled was beginning to turn orange with the fading afternoon light, bright swaths of sunlight washing the grass with an amber hue. By the time we reached the base of the tower, the sun was approaching its demise, an hour and a half remaining until sunset. Just enough time, somebody said. The rest of us, nodding our heads and grunting our happy concurrence in sweet naivety. I looked up toward Delta, its height now unrecognizable from such a close vantage point. It was out of commission now, but at one time, this edifice has served as one of the three triangulation towers, a system of navigation that existed before GPS did. In its glory days, it had directed naval fleets, averting them from danger, speaking to them of land, acting as a solid reference point for those among a fluid ocean. For years, though, it had stood pointlessly in the midst of this paddock, serving only as an attraction to the curious or the reckless, the occasional cow stopping to graze in its shadow. We had come to add ourselves to one category or another. Tonight, we would join the small but dedicated club of people who had made it to the top of this monolith. One after the other, we placed our gloved hands on the first rung of the uncaged ladder that led sharply upwards. The tower was much like an enormous antenna. No walls, simply the bare metal bones of a triangular structure climbing up into the sky. Every 43 meters, the enormous ladder was broken up by a platform, cutting our monolith into distinct sections that offered small respite. The rest of the way, it was only our own bodies that would keep us safe. The first pitch was the hardest as we adjusted to this feat and became acquainted with what was required of us. Each step was a challenge daring us to fail. My arms quickly tired, and though my body knew instinctively its way up a ladder, I became rapidly aware that I couldn't rely on that for long. This was a marathon climb. I would have to learn to pace myself. Our muscles strained with each rung, the drop behind us growing as we ascended, making every grip a dance with death. But this was too big and too important to give up on. Group morale was high. We would have to see if it matched the height of Delta. Pressing on, we reached the second of ten platforms as the sun was setting, its rays scattering vividly across a now clear sky. Our initial estimates had been a little off, but we were already giddy with excitement. The air was calm, and now, as we prepared ourselves for the next climb, a gentle breeze passed by us, and a sound like angels humming surrounded us. 
The enormous guy wires that stretched down toward the ground had been sent vibrating into a symphony of harmonics, and I became lost for a moment in their song, drinking in the beauty and absurdity of that singular experience. As the sun sank lower and succumbed to the draw of the horizon, Delta's lights came on with a sudden brightness that bathed everything in a liquid red light. Every second platform was illuminated by an enormous bulb encased in vermilion, giving a strange and eerie darkroom glow to the tower, to my hands, to the faces of my friends. I looked down, the ground stretching away from me now, and saw a glittering array of lights arcing around us in a perfect circle. The base of each cable offered its own illumination, shining up at us in warm tungsten. Now, in the last dying rays of the sun, I could still see the ground, but I knew it wouldn't be long until that fairy ring of lights would be the only reference to the earth that was falling further and further away with every step. I had adjusted my technique, climbing with one arm, hugging the ladder with the other, as my muscles became fatigued and holding on became a challenge. We were slowing down, each pitch harder than the last. But as we climbed higher and higher into the heavens, my excitement grew. Night had fallen. The stars had emerged. And I became suddenly aware of how incredible this was. The sky above me was deep blue and crystal clear, scattered with innumerable pinpricks of light. The Milky Way reached from horizon to horizon, calling back memories of other nights spent gazing deep into the ether almost falling into the endlessness of the stars. I hoisted myself onto the next platform, joining the others that had climbed ahead of me. With aching muscles and bruised arms, we rested a moment, and looking down, someone spotted an enormous sweeping torch, an unwelcome sight when caught in the midst of some illegal activity like this one. As it had been from below, size was deceptive from up there, and it took a moment to realize that the light was moving far too quickly to be a person on foot. Rather, this must have been a floodlight attached to the farmer's truck. I was struck by a sudden moment of awe, recognizing how high we must have been by then. Watching the sweep and linger of the beam, I realized he must have been looking for something, and we became suddenly aware of how far sound would travel in the empty space between us and him. We all watched quietly as the farmer kept driving, his light cutting a bright path through the darkness. He was making his way towards the edge of the forest where our car was conspicuously parked and an exchange of nervous looks flashed between our group of ne'er-do-wells. Then, crack! A single gunshot echoed through the air. He was just hunting rabbits, 
and a bunch of young miscreants climbing his neighboring tower was the last thing on his mind. We grinned at each other in relief and climbed on. The occasional crack of the farmer's gun climbed up the ladder behind us, and his floodlight was way into the state forest now. The group was doing well. We were nearly halfway there. We would make it. I knew we would make it. Somewhere between the fifth and sixth platform, I looked down, expecting to find the inky mass of the ground swimming beneath me. Instead, I almost cried with delight at the magical sight unfolding below. From the east, a thick, white sheet rushed toward the tower as the wind picked up at ground level and carried with it a blanket of fog over the field and forest below. In less than a minute, the ground had become a cloud, and we were in the sky. We only had the sky. I was struck by the realization that the heavens were starting to dominate my field of vision. The earth was dropping away. I was climbing toward the stars. In a sudden rush, I was completely overwhelmed by joy. Looking up, I saw the most spectacular sight of a perfect night sky. Looking down, I saw a white mist lit from somewhere below that I could no longer see. I was floating above the clouds of my own volition. I was alive. I was living. It came upon me as a religious experience, a rare and pure sense of euphoria, a moment of divinity and transcendence. With a feeling like floating, I climbed on with the most ridiculous grin on my face and didn't stop smiling the whole way up. One last time we gathered before our final pitch to take in what we were about to achieve. Gazing toward the red light that topped the tower, its true zenith. We were all sore and tired and beginning to get cold, but we knew we had made it. This was it. That last pitch was the most beautiful and the most striking. My companions gallantly offered me the first climb, to be the first to reach the summit and I happily placed my hands on the rungs for the last 43 meters of a 430-meter-tall tower. As I rose higher and higher, I saw around me the enormous insulators that had seemed like flower petals from the ground. Passing alongside them, now I was shocked to find they were the same size as me, huge glistening bodies floating in the sky in that tell-tale umbrella array. When I finally reached the top of the ladder, I stopped for a moment to savor the last of the climb. Looking around me before hoisting myself up in one quick motion and emerging victorious. My co-conspirators followed suit and we found ourselves in one of the most surreal places I have ever inhabited. The effect was almost disorienting. 
there was no longer any point of reference. The ground was invisible, and there was nothing above us to measure from. We were, in very literal terms, on top of the world. This half of it, anyway. Caught between giddy intoxication and hushed awe, our little group soaked in the starlight that shone brightly from on high. My chest was full with the richness of achievement, my head intoxicated with the glory of the sky. My body, aching but accomplished, had brought me here, had carried me up, 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 into the stars, into the heavens, into the far reaches of what was once imagination. Our little group had conquered Delta, and that felt like a more worthwhile endeavor than anything I could think of in that moment. The red light that topped the tower glowed at me, and I stepped forward, spas beside me, to touch the red light. This had become a tradition, the red light marking the satisfaction, the proof, the culmination of conquering a zenith. Together we lay our hands on the warm bulb casing, signaling our success. Truly, Delta was ours. Black Duck pulled out a marker, a staple of any vagabond's toolkit, and we each printed our names on the brilliant white of the tower, beside others who had done the same. A few familiar monikers were there already, other miscreants I had the pleasure of knowing, and we completed our rituals of glory and celebration with a photo to mark the occasion. I wished we could have camped there all night, hovering above the earth, communing with the Milky Way. But it had to end, and the time came to begin the long descent from our celestial perch back to our terrestrial beginnings. Our zenith point had given us a new familiarity with heights, and on the way down, we each displayed an ease and comfort that we seemed to have found there amongst the stars. When we rested on the platforms, those angelic guy wires still humming around us, we treated the structure like a jungle gym, climbing up into its beams with little concern for the sheer drop beneath us. It was as though the thrill of achievement had made us immortal, anything less than 430 meters now seeming like mere child's play. Four platforms down, I looked again toward the glowing distant earth to see that the white blanket had climbed up after us and was quickly approaching. By now, half of the delta was enveloped in cloud, and as I balanced upon the ladder, I saw the world split in half by the thin black band of the horizon. The rest, only stars and fog. With one last look at the magnificent stars, I delved into the mist, allowing myself to be swallowed up by the ethereal white that awaited me. Instantly, the ladder turned wet beneath my fingers, and the air was thick with vapor. In the glow of the red lights, I watched the particles stream past, dancing 
and the breeze. When we finally reached the bottom, we were thoroughly exhausted, but glowing with pride. We had been climbing for almost seven hours, and everything hurt, but it was easily worth it. For one hour, we had been kings and queens of the heavens and the earth. That was Midnight Rendezvous with the Stars, written by the one and only Jazz Meyer. If you're still awake, I hope you're feeling relaxed and ready to rest. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's wonderful story. There will be so many more to come, and we look so forward to sharing them all with you. Again, if you'd like to support CU in Sleep County and receive benefits such as PDF downloads of all of our bedtime stories and live readings, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash County, choose a tier, and you can become a patron and watch this podcast bloom right before your very eyes. We would love to hear from you. If you have anything you'd like to share with us about the story, about this podcast, about the things we talk about before the story, anything at all, it really motivates us and encourages us and brightens our day to hear from you. So please feel free to get in touch anytime. You can contact me at, at @blakefarha on Instagram, and you can get in touch with Jazz at, at @liberation.and.love on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of See You in Sleep County. I hope you're ready for a night of rest and relaxation. And if you're not, you can always listen to another episode of See You in Sleep County until you feel tired enough to sleep. Thanks again. I'm Blake Farha, and I want to wish you a good night, sweet dreams, and I'll see you in Sleep County.